0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnik, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader.
1: So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership coach, your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow.
0: Our guest in today's episode is Alan Wong, Director of Engineering at Calm. Ellen has held positions at renowned companies like Intel, Microsoft, Zynga, Workday, and SciSense before she joined Calm. We talked to Ellen about how important it is to be through influence, not through authority, if you want to build happy, thriving, and diverse teams. And especially if you're leading people that are more senior than you. I personally found Alan's authenticity and vulnerability super inspiring. She shared with us how she struggled as a first-time manager and even went back to being a senior engineer after her first attempt to give herself enough time to reflect on why she wants to be a manager. She knew she was ready when she understood that the reason she wants to go into management is to enable others to lead as well. She's one of the most inspiring tech leaders we have spoken to so far. So let's just jump right in. Hey, Ellen. Good morning. It's so nice to have you here. Morning. Thanks
2: for having me. So nice to meet you.
0: Yes. We were super excited to have this convo because I was scouting on lead devs content pages, actually, and I found a, I think, a blog post in a talk that you gave or a panel that you joined, actually, and you were speaking about strategies for influencing without authority. And that really caught my attention. So it's a bunch. We also believe that everyone can be a leader and it's really not about formal authority necessarily, but influence and leadership is much, much wider and contextual than that. So I would love to hear what you meant by that actually, and which strategies are those exactly? And how do you use them day by day? It's funny
2: you brought up the lead dev panel. So uh, I remember like doing that panel was super interesting because there were like. know four or five leaders all at different companies all have you know slightly different philosophy and uh philosophy and personalities and and actually, one of the other panelists uh, disagreed with me, like during the panel. And he's oh, wow. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ellen. Like, um, but you know what? We became friends. We actually just grabbed dinner the other night. Like because of that, like in the panel, we became friends. Um, and, and we talked, you know, a great deal about like, you know, the importance of influence, especially when you're in a leadership position. And I think for a lot of early career leaders, like myself included, when I just started is To think, oh, you know, when I was an individual contributor, I have no authority. So as soon as I'm managing people, I have authority and I can just tell people what to do now. Yay. So, so easy. That is just so wrong, actually. As I found myself growing in leadership, um, managing larger and larger team, it's true. You have more people, you know, in your lead, in your care. But at the same time, your role on day to day, so much of it is about influencing Other people that are not in your organization, um, perhaps other leaders who equally have strong opinions about how things should be done and might be slightly different from you. And even like with direct reports, now you're managing other leaders, which means they also have their opinions and, you know, you hire really smart people to do their best work. And so, of course, you're not in a position to tell them and dictate what to do. And so, like I would say in my day to day, it's like rarely is, is about authority. It's all about influencing. And I remember just talking to one of my engineering manager on the team about this the other day. How do you have influence? Exactly. You know, that was my
0: question. <laughs> how yeah. How, how do
2: you, it? especially if you're joining as a new leader, especially now in the remote world, and it is really challenging, right? Like when you have. You know the rapport when you're like when you're in person in an office. Maybe you have casual conversation, you build that organic trust. And now in the remote world, when you first join, like okay, now I have these things that needs influence, and where do I where do I go with this? And it really start by like active listening. And and what I mean by that is if you're asked to go drive an initiative, and it involves like several different teams, leaders, uh, people, perhaps in different function. You really can't get people to do the things that you need them to do without understanding their motivation. So one of the first thing I remember when I first onboarded and I onboarded remotely was, okay, mapping out who are all the people like in the system, right? And mm-hmm. what are they, you know, and, and do, can I answer the question, what do they care about? What are they measured on? And how can I support them, right? And so like really one by one, really mapping out that your ecosystem uh, to getting things done, mm-hmm. And then from there onward, like building trust is like a drop in a bucket each time. Like, okay, I understand what what is it that you need, and here's how mm. I can support you, right? And so it helps when you do need something from them, you can frame it in a way that one they understand what it is, uh, and two that they care about it. Like, oh, you want you know higher performance? I want higher performance. You want better user engagement. Me too. I want the support team to be, you know, a little bit less, less underwater to translate it to something that they care about. And so I think that is really the core uh, of building influence.
0: Super spot on. We actually had a tip, I think that is very similar, Anthony, if I remember correctly, that's literally called like the stakeholder map or something like this, where we literally were encouraging um, our users to visually map out who they, they actually interact with the most and what they care about in order to be able to place kind of your initiatives in that in that map. So could not agree more. I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of people doesn't actually do it because it looks like this great idea and like meaningful thing to do, but also it's kind of out there. And like you start your job and then you have the computer and like where do you map? Do you go to Miro or like really do you like do the thing? But it actually so it's so nice to hear that this is something that you actually do actually use and actually recommend because I really truly believe that most successful people actually do that in when it comes to influencing
2: yeah and I think like to that point both sides is true like identifying you know the right person for what you need is really important and their motivation and speaking their language and at the same time knowing when to back off right because like if you are you know pushing on something and and you're not getting that energy and not getting the response and not knowing how to back off, you actually like break a lot of trust. You know, imagine someone who's really pushy and like, Hey Ellen, you know, like you really need to do this. Uh, It's really important to me. Each time you're breaking trust because you're saying me, me, me is about me. Right. So that, especially in the beginning, have you not built up that relationship yet? It's really important to know when to back off and then, you know, try again in a slightly different way.
0: Yeah. That's such a good thought as well.
1: I think you're you're starting to dive into it Ellen, so I'd love to double down on that and just sort of zoom out to the 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 team level. I know I think, like us, you're you're committed and and uh, I think passionate about happy, thriving, and productive teams. What are your signals? Like, what are the signals for you when a when a team is either thriving, happy, productive, or vice versa, not thriving, not happy, and not productive. What do you look for?
2: Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> not happy, not thriving, not productive. Um, I remembered a couple jobs ago. Uh, I once attended uh, a little backstory. I attended this, I think a leader, a, another female leader from Cisco, where she talked about her leadership journey. And, and she was like, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but as you grow in leadership, you really need to understand your brand. What is it that you're known for? Like, what is it that people say about you when you're not in the room? And, I, that's when I was like, oh, I, I didn't know what my brand was. And so like, well, the best way to find out is to ask people that you work with and people that you know from, you know, personal lives. So I asked my coworker, what is it, what would you say like the top three things in my brand? And I was like, I asked about 10 people. And to my surprise, all of them collectively have at least one thing in common, which is saying wow. that Ellen your teams are always so happy. It's frequently that we would be, you know, on our headphones, but the laughter would just pierce through the headphones and they're just like, what's so funny? What's so funny over there? Uh, And that's, and I didn't even realize it. That's just like part of who I am. That's how part of how I lead and how my my team just organically become that way. And I think when we were in the office, when you walk into the office, kind of the, the test is just like, are people energized? Are they excited to come into work? Like Monday is a great test. If your team is coming in, you know, either person or on Zoom on Monday and they're energetic, even if they're tired, you know, they chuckle. Those are like little bits of signs that, hey, you know, your, your team morale is doing pretty great, right? They're happy to be here and even, you know, like the first day of the week. But then I think Beyond just, uh, especially now that I've seen a lot of different leaders and work with different ones, there is the, it's not just happy, right? Like you, you can have a team that's like working on really super cool things, fun stuff, uh, and and maybe they're doing, you know, like challenging projects, but are they making an impact? I think that yeah. to me is also super important, right? Um, I think I was talk- talking with this other leader the other day, they were like, yeah, you know, you know, working with this leader This person is really well loved by the team, but then their team is just kind of off on the side doing the cool projects, but not really tying to the overall organization, you know, impact. And as a result, their overall impact is lower. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there is the day to day happiness and finding joy, but there's also the inherently are we making an impact, you know, to the world, to the business, to our users. And so I think it's truly the true happiness is when you have both elements and it's really hard. Right. And I think I've certainly see you know some bucket of early leaders uh, either prioritizing one over the other and not really think about both at the same time. Uh, you know, one camp would be overly indexed on oh employee happiness. It's like, oh, you know, do the fun projects and not, you know, really course correct when, hey, here's the high impact thing, maybe less fun, but here's how we can, you know, get you excited and engaged. So really like constantly adjusting is really the key to a happy and productive team.
0: I think it's it's really great that you brought up this example, because I think that's exactly what happens. You kind of learn how to do the one thing first and then the other thing. And my question would be, how do you advise tech leaders, particularly leaders of engineering teams, to kind of learn the other thing at the same time? So if I'm someone who's like truly collaborative and the team is really important to me, chances are that I kind of don't really keep the big picture in mind maybe so often. And like, I'm not really focusing on the result side of things as much. And I'm not tying back to like the bigger company objective and all this. And vice versa, do you have advice for both of these archetypes? So to say, kind of how to counteract this bias or the preference that they have?
2: I think that part of what you just described there require, um, you know, self-reflection, right? Like, do you know what kind of leader you are? right? Um, Perhaps, you know, knowing yourself, you are very result focused and you're a little bit like less people oriented or, you know, less about like, you know, cultivating the joy and psychological safety in your team. Right. In that case, I would say if the project delivery and and outcome is what drives you, right, don't, don't shy away from that because that's your superpower, but perhaps you can, you know, partner up with someone, you know, it could be, you know, a person on the team who just naturally cultivate that environment promote learning promote most psychological like safety, partner with them, right? Or perhaps like another person, another leader with a team that can you know add to that element. Um, and if you are the other side, where you're like, oh, you know, when my team just frowns, oh, I just, oh, I, I just give in. Then, then you need the other person, right? It, it mm. could be, an, it could be a person, it could be a system, it could be a metric, right? So, so one tip actually that I, have, I find myself actually leaning more and more on as I grow in leadership is having clear guidance on what is the success criteria, right? That way you keep yourself accountable as well. And so it could be a set of metrics. It could be, you know, because it could be customer satisfaction. It could be, you know, service performance. It could be, you know, revenue targets, right? There might there be some things that are measurable within a certain timeframe. Right. It could be an outcome, a launch of a product within a certain timeframe. And so communicating that very clearly to yourself, to your team is a way to keep, you know, everyone accountable. And it, to my surprise, like, you know, over and over again, as I manage different kinds of teams, people actually get more engaged when they're kept accountable. One of the, uh, you know, engineering manager that I managed uh, prior, first year in her career, and she was like, hey, to keep the team accountable, aren't I just being a hard ass? Like, aren't I just like putting the whip on? And... It wasn't until, you know, we did a 360 feedback loop where, you know, the reports, you know, something like, oh, you know, how can my manager, you know, support me even more? They all ask for our accountability. So, so it's for so those who actually, you know, have that similar mindset, just know that it's helpful when people have a, a goal to strive for.
0: And I actually had a conversation today with one of my team members and they asked me for advice actually on exactly that, like there was insecurity security around, am I too harsh on my team? Like I'm always trying to help them to stay accountable and kind of like pull them back to what is the actual objective. And I think there wasn't actually any reason to be insecure about it because I don't think that was the actual issue. There was like another kind of side issue, but yeah, it's like, it's interesting how we intrinsically assume that accountability is something bad Or like, we're almost like parents coming into the room and are like, did you clean your room already? Or like, there is somewhat weird association with this whole accountability thing. I was digging into your previous experiences. um, And I saw that you moved at Zynga from a senior engineer to a development lead. And then as you switched to workday, you actually became senior engineer again, which I found really interesting because it doesn't happen very often that people are versatile enough to kind of go from like, Senior IC to then a manager to then senior IC and then a manager again. Could you share a little bit about that like episode and why did you decide to actually go to IC?
2: When I was at Zynga, uh, I had a really supportive manager who I'm still you know a, a dear friend uh, to this day. And I remember I was one of the senior engineers on the team. And at some point, just I think naturally, I, I like to drive collective outcome. I, I like to like support people around me, even if they're not my reports. And he was like, Ellen, you should be a manager. Um, and I remember fighting it at the time. <laughs> it was just like, why? I, I enjoy coding. Like I'm, I'm still learning. Like at the time I was a mobile engineer. So I'm still learning Android. There's so much cool things to do. Why would you want to make me a manager? Uh, and <laughs> at the time, his answer was, I mean, he's pretty cheeky. He uh, was like, because you're older now, you know, uh, just, <laughs> just step into leadership. Like, just do it, man. Why do I, why are you you giving me a hard time? I'm (laughs) trying to give you an opportunity. And so I'm like, oh, fine. It was like, literally, that was a one-on-one conversation that I reenacted just now. Uh, So I'm like, fine, I'll do it. But then like, I, I walked in and I was just making all the textbook mistake of the first time managers. I was, you know, I was an Android engineer and as I stepped into the role, I didn't give up any of my IC work. And in my mind, I was like, Oh, I can do both. Nah. Of course, why not? Of course, why not? I can do both. And so then, you know, I was that, what it means is I was doing both jobs poorly, right? My IC work was delayed. And so I'm like, you know, I wasn't ever used to telling, you know, the the team that I'm delayed. And, and that was the first time I kept telling like, oh no. My, my IC work kept getting delayed. And at the same time, the team wasn't very well supported, right? Because I was trying to code all the time and trying to block up that focus time. And it was also a very challenging environment for a first-time manager. Um, this is where, like, the diversity aspect, right? I was the only female leader like in a group of, I would say, organization of 60 people. I was one of 19 leads uh, slash manager on the team and so I remember walking into this room. I mean, in my mind, I, I don't know. I just like to think of it as like a, a almost like a funny thing. I walked in and I was like, men, 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 men.
0: Hmm.
2: I'm like, this is funny. I'm like the only female. here. What's going on? Like, uh, and so it was just like, you know, a combination of things. I, I wasn't having a lot of fun. I would say. I learned a lot though. I learned a lot about like what not to do uh, and and how to, you know, like balance different things and what worked and what didn't work. So I think that experience set me up for being a better manager the next time around when I was ready. So yeah, I definitely, after that experience, I'm like, oh, being managers are just not for me. I'm going <laughs> to go back to be an IC. And when I went to work day uh, as an IC, I actually observed that. You know, great leaders have just large impact on people's lives and well-being and and happiness. And I'm just like, okay, I think I'm ready to go back into that now. And that's when I like fully took on the
1: full management role.
0: Such a beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this.
1: And then based on all that, Ellen, what would you uh, what do you think the biggest challenge for managers is today?
0: I thought that being a first
2: time manager itself was hard enough because it it was very hard for me. Uh, Like learning to do, you know, one on ones, learning to you know, pull away from the, you know, tried and true, like, you know, you know how to be a successful IC and you have that instant gratification of like checking in code and you see it in production. Awesome. Like all of that, you have to pull away from that and relearn a sense of skills. And I I think that in itself is challenging enough. And today we, for for a lot of people, they're still working in a remote world. And I just find that really, really hard, right? Because a lot of trust building, a lot of rapport is like, you know, based on organic interaction. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a remote working situation, those don't just happen. You, you kind of have to orchestrate it. And so like, that's an extra like learning curve for especially new managers that are being managed for the first time in a remote world. I personally do think that like line manager, like first level manager have the toughest job right now, right? Cause they, they are on, on, you know, on hook to deliver on projects. Like if you have like a deadline and, and you know, driving a bunch of people to deliver on an outcome, they're on, on hook for that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they're also taking care of their team, right? Because their team are also stressed out, uh, especially like those, their home environment may not be as, as peaceful as this. Maybe there are like, you know, dogs and cats and and, and children Kids running and, around yeah. and, and, and like, you know, throwing all of that in and, And needing to make that connection and trust in a remote world, it's all just, it's just extra. And every little bit just adds on. And it's like, I think the advice to a lot of the managers on my team, especially first-time managers is just pace yourself, right? It's like, you're going from instant gratification of IC work into something that is going to take longer to see results. So it's you know you need to it's it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is something I also remind myself of you need to kind of bake in some quick wins for yourself, right? If you aim for something super ambitious when you are a first time manager and you don't, you know get that joy of achieving something till the end, you're gonna burn out. So like really making sure that you bake in those quick wins, understanding switching into a management role that, that instant gratification doesn't come as easily, uh, and, and learning to enjoy the impact as a leader. I think those are all the challenges, especially today.
1: We've had some really, really, really cool conversations with technical leaders over the last months on the podcast, but also off the podcast. And I think one of the things that's really crystallized in my head is just how unique the engineering leadership mm-hmm. journey is and how, how special it is. Um, One thing that I remember one guy said was just just how stark the contrast from going from... It's not just general IC work to management work, but... Almost other disciplines have it a little bit easier because designers are talking to customers. There's this, I guess, easier transition. You're deploying more soft skills in your IC roles. And then in management, you can kind of slip into it a little bit more. Not saying it's easy by any means. How do you view this for engineers specifically? And do you find that a lot of engineers require soft skill training or do you think they're ready? Like, how are their soft skills when they first jump into management? How important is that to you?
2: Because of my previous experience of rushing into management and just fall flat on my face and just bruises everywhere and then go back to be an IC. Whenever someone who is, you know, hopefully a strong IC, right. Like telling me, oh, they want to be, you know, switching into management. I'm always taking that extra step to, to ask them the questions of like, you know, to kind of gauge, are they ready or is it the right time? Right. It doesn't mean like, you are a manager and you're not, like, is this the right time? And often I would ask them the question, you know, what is the reason? What is the why behind wanting to go into management? And if their answer is just career progression, I'm like, hey, you can progress as an individual contributor as well. That is not a reason, right? That's not a good enough reason. So what is the reason? And for those that I find to be the most successful is because that, you know, become successful managers are that the reason is to support people, Mm -hmm. right? And so often I would ask them, does it excite you more when you dig into really complex problems or figure out like, you know, a new architecture uh, or resolve a really difficult like technical issue or bug, like does that give you energy? Or is it when you, you know, pull together a bunch of people and drive a collective outcome or you teach someone something new or you help someone, you know, achieve something that they weren't able to achieve before? which one clearly spark more joy, right? Mm-hmm. In a way. And if the answer is the first one, I'm like, let's find you more opportunities to do that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and instead of, you know, just thinking that management is the only way to go. I think knowing the why and knowing the timing is really important. And second, whenever possible, what I try to do is to have them in an environment, you know, doing the job before officially transition them into an official manager. So most often that on my teams a lead would already be managing project driving collective outcome perhaps having some casual one-on-ones with folks before I officially have people reporting to them. Cuz I want to see what they are like in that element, right? And and for them it's also an easier transition. It's merely in a way a like job title change and a few reporting change instead of like the whole function change around them. So for me personally, whenever possible, I'll try to create an environment where they're not just going from one role to another so drastically and transition them into it.
0: I actually had a follow-up on this kind of related to the the only woman in the room situation. And and this is going off script a little bit. So do let me know if <laughs> this is not something you're comfortable with answering. But I can't imagine that if you have, you know, like experience ICs and a lot of them are still men, of course, not as many anymore. I like see more and more female engineers, which is super exciting. And I see that whole space open up for... Um, all types of diversity, which is like really good. I think we we actually made progress in the last couple of like the last two, two years, especially I feel, but still like when you have the situation where you kind of have to support someone who is maybe more senior than yourself and also a man and like, they're really, you really know, in their element, they really know what they're doing. And then... You kind of like are, you know, like sending them off on this like new journey and you need to like give space. But at the same time, also, you know, nudge them sometimes. And like, how do you like what are the tools that you learned to lead maybe more senior people in their element, but that they are kind of new to your realm um, or your environment, which is management?
2: Like a couple of years ago, I I actually had that exact same situation and I find myself sweating a little bit i would i had already been managing multiple teams and managing sort of like you know early career to like fresh graduates and i remember suddenly coming into my team uh was a prior cto a man someone actually much much older than me and also someone who is like you know loud and and like opinionated and it's not it's not super obvious that it would work out great. Like it wasn't (laughs) that obvious that it would work out great. So definitely going in, I I remember talking to my mentors and previous managers, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like this is kind of, you know, I was like a little bit intimidated and also wasn't sure how I can, you know, support this person. And the advice I got was just, just ask Mm -hmm. them. And so that's what I did. Uh, I remember the very first one-on-one, uh, we both sat down and I remember like, he kind of like had this body language like this. And he was just like, so yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're working together now. It's like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, and then he was even like, you know, we don't, <laughs> this is him, like, we don't have to do this. We don't, <laughs> we don't have to do one-on-ones. You don't, I don't need to talk about my feelings. I don't, I don't need this, you know, I don't do feelings. <laughs> new feelings. Um, you tell me what you need. I do them when and, and we're good. Right. So that was, that was the thing. And I'm like, okay, so, so he, he doesn't need what I normally provide for my other reports, but then, so I asked him, okay, cool. Well, I've heard, you have, you have a great reputation about delivering you've drive, you know, all these other projects before. So I'm super excited to have you on the team. I'm really in this role where my job is to support you. So Tell me how I can best support you. And I think he just kind of paused and looked at me and he was like, uh, well, tell, tell me how I can support you. And that conversation just, just started flowing, right? Because I'm nice. like, cool, we have the same common goal, which is to support each other. Yeah, and so like then we just start drawing on the whiteboard. Like, okay, for this project, what about this, this is is the most exciting? What do you think is the right direction and why? Right, mm-hmm. and then we mm-hmm. we talk about the project. We talk about building a vision. We talk about like why we joined the company, and and then it just flows. Every now and then in our one-on-ones, I was in a feeling, asking him how he's feeling. uh Sometimes he would open up. Sometimes he'd he's like, we don't have to do that. I'm like, okay. Like I respect that. We don't always need to do that, uh, but you know, it's it's. I'm here if you need it. Um, and nice. yeah, it worked out great. And I still think, you know, uh, he wasn't my report the whole time I was in that company, but I still still think we had a great relationship. And I still get messages from him every now and then. So that's
0: a really really great showcase, I would say, like a case study almost. Um, thank you so much.
1: Maybe I'll jump in on the back of that. You know, looking forward, what are you still trying to grow in? What are you still What are you still find challenging?
2: It wasn't like uh, until a couple of years ago I really dive into like what are my core values, right? What what are the things that drives my behavior and and gets me motivated and then get out of bed every day. And one of the few things is actually growth. Like I care a lot about the growth of my team, like my, my leaders, like people in the organization, and for myself as well. And I think that for you know many years leading you know to to this. Um, It was always about like career progression. Like, okay, if, if I was a lead, you know, do I, do I start managing or do I become, you know, uh, in a different path? Okay. When you're first level manager, then I start like managing leaders and perhaps it's around growing scope and impact. But then like, I think as you keep growing, um, in your leadership journey, the growth path is not as mapped out for you. It's more about like figuring it out on your, in a way on your own. Right. So every, every week I actually, you know, with a group of other leaders, we, we talk about this, like how do we grow in our career and what does grow really means? I think in, I remember in my last job, I, I was like, I want to grow, I want to grow. And I remember my exec and my boss at the time said, what do you mean by grow? That's actually when I started thinking like, wait, I can't just use the same formula as I had before, right? It's the letter, might have stopped. Like, where, where, what is the, what is the next thing, and and maybe the next thing is not available or clearly available where you are. So I think part of the growth conversation is to figuring out like what is truly important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I do some self discovery, I think the two things that's important to me. Uh, one is actually quite aligned with you know why you all do this podcast, which is like you know, creating more like amazing leaders out there, I think, mm. and, and being, you know, a supportive uh voice for them, right? I think that's, that's one, one piece. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and second is to like, find joy in my work. You know, sometimes we can be like in a rat race a bit where we're like, okay, do more, do bigger, better things. But do we enjoy it? Like, because I think mm. It, it talks to sustainability, right? Because when I find joy in my work, I'm energized. I bring my best self um, to work. And I think most recently uh, I was reading this book called Flow and, and it really resonated with me. Um, and, the Chick-Chick-Ali
0: one? Or? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that
2: one. Uh, and I remember the key takeaway, and it's like a sort of as a reminder for myself, I actually have a little call out in my you know like journal that, you know, just remember, joy to 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 have joy in your work in your day to day. It's just that you're in the right kind of challenge, right? You're not mm-hmm. underwater.
1: Mm-hmm. You're not
2: like you know too under challenge, so then you'd be bored. So the right amount of challenge and allow yourself like focused time to go like accomplish these like increasing challenges. Um, as leaders, especially as your scope grow, it's so easy for your calendar to be just before of back-to-back meetings and then you're it's just a week go by and you're like I'm exhausted what
0: happened what What, what what did (laughs) I do we call it like the tractor mornings where like on Saturday morning like how you wake up on Saturday morning is a very telling signal of how your week was because if you wake up like some tractor rolls over you and you're like wow I'm exhausted (laughs) then it's probably a sign of like that didn't really go well. There were too many meetings, or so like too much drain. Yeah, and it's
2: like, and, and especially if you're in a dynamic environment where things keeps changing, right? Like your priorities could have shifted drastically, even just from three months ago. I remember thinking like, you know, that's, that's usually the signal where I'm like, okay, I need to, you know, change something, which is like, I'm tired. I can't quite articulate what I've accomplished in the week. Uh, and I, I can't quite articulate like, Oh, you know, what am I, what, what are the goals of the quarter and how have I meaningfully made progress in it, right? Because it all needs to kind of tie back to a bigger picture of what it is that I'm I'm trying to do. And I remember when I and, and when I first joined an organization, it was like, okay, there's so many things. Like I'm just putting all the things in my bucket and just like trying to do all of them. And I forgot to hand them off. And so like over time, even though they're small in bits and pieces it was really starting to drown my calendar and like not allowing me to focus on, you know, other kind of work or high impact work. And so like, I remember there was one week where I just handed off like 10 things. I'm like, okay, here's 10 meetings. I don't actually need to be all of them. Like it becomes opportunity for other people. And then I allow me to focus on other things. And so I think it's so important to really understand like what is it that you're trying to accomplish make a plan and then give yourself that focused time to actually work on it and not be split brain
0: great to hear that on a wednesday i'm already making plans how to structure my next week, much better how I'm going to revisit my OKRs <laughs> one more time on Friday. Um, super inspiring. Thanks for the reminder. I think it's so, so crucial. It's so easy to get caught up in the whirlwind. Let's talk about DE&I, obviously a very hot topic in tech and everywhere else. How do you make sure you get enough diverse candidates into the pipeline and through the pipeline currently? So let's talk a little bit about the hiring ins and outs.
2: Well, like before jumping into that, I think we hear, D and I a lot in conversations. And sometimes it's easy to forget like the why behind that is important. Hopefully it doesn't need a lot more convincing, but like, you know, to just relate on a personal level, I think I talked about my first time transition into management where there wasn't clearly someone that I could just see. oh, someone who looked like me, who sound like me is doing this job. And of course I can do it. And it's very subtle, but like to me, I remember being in that environment in order to do my job, I almost had to pretend to be a man. Right. Because all yeah. of the role models around me were, were men and they have a different kind approach. of leadership, a different pr- approach. Exactly. Like different kind of presence. And it wasn't until like two jobs later I remember interviewing at a company where the VP of engineering was actually a woman. It was like this emotional response, talking to her during an interview, and she was talking about you know what, what inspired her to be a leader and her leadership style. And I remember like having this emotional response like, wow, I can lead and just act like myself. That was the pivotal moment where I'm like, I'm going to be joining this company because this is going to really allow me to be myself and, and lead. Right. And I can learn how to do that and be effective. I don't have to pretend to be someone else, which is exhausting. So I think it's important to remember, DNI work is, is hard. A lot of times there's not no right answer, but it's so, so, so important because there will be people that, you know, they see representation and they like, you know, aspire to be something that they didn't think was possible or easy. But like going back to you know your question, how do we do dni right? There's the technical aspect, which is if you're hiring, there is the pipeline, you work with your recruiting team, and you also want to, in a way, audit your interview process to make sure that it is in fact uh DNI friendly. But then I think even taking a step back from that is like. What does D and I mean to your organization? When we're saying we want to be more diverse, what does that mean, right? Mm. And in tech, some people might jump straight to like, oh, just is there, you know, men and women, is the ratio, you know, pretty even, right? Mm. Or, or or mix of that. But it's not always that. I'll give you an example. So another job ago, when surveying the existing team, we talk about what would be the most impactful in, you know, adding to the existing culture and the, the topic of diversity came up. To our surprise, it, it wasn't the ratio of like male and female. It mm-hmm. was actually the ratio of senior uh, and early career Junior. folks. And so they were actually saying, "Yeah, with so we were hiring everyone that can like hit the ground running." That we lost the opportunity for the for the senior folks to mentor and teach
0: and grow in leadership. Such a and common so- problem, I think, in like scale up teams in particular. We get so many yeah. questions about this. Yeah. And so then as a result, based on that
2: survey and really understanding and, and you know, not going to lie, like at the time, there weren't that many females on our team either, but that wasn't the, the most prominent problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: we really focused on reshaping our interview loop to be a bit more early career friendly, right? Mm-hmm. For example, if, you're, if your interview questions was like, tell me about how you've scaled teams in the last five years that's clearly not early career friendly, right? Uh, Or if you require really deep understanding in architecture or scaling architecture, that's also not like someone who's you've been out of school for two years isn't going to have that experience. So like really having a different set of questions for a diverse set of, you know, candidates for early career folks was crucial in us like able to actually hire like, you know, 20, 30% off the next batch um, to be early career and that balance out So I think one is like definitely to understand like what is the highest impacting and make incremental progress.
0: I found it super interesting to hear that you kind of turn to the team to ask for which aspects are actually like kind of worth improving on and also. Kind of weren't afraid of like asking openly like what kind of diversity do we need like what do we want to kind of tackle next I think that's also such a good kind of stake at the ground because I think many people are very insecure around the topic it's a highly politically loaded topic obviously so you oftentimes see leaders kind of either step away from it and kind of yeah we do like diversity initiatives but like it's not my thing like there is these other people that do this <laughs> or like oh my god yeah yeah we have like super diverse friendly like um hiring processes this is how it goes but like it, I think it's really Difficult to allow yourself to kind of emotionally connect to the topic and kind of really open yourself up and ask because it's, it requires asking questions like, what do we get out of it? What type of diversity? How would that even go? Which like effects would it have? And things like that. And I think a lot of the thoughts you just shared are so great because they actually showcase that like human side, the very like open curiosity side of things. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions to your team of like, what aspect do we want to focus on? And yeah, it's not written anywhere which you have to start with, right? Like you can actually have impact.
1: Yeah, on that.
2: and and I would say you know not just DNI. There are certain topics where it's perhaps more controversial in some organization versus the other. And I think one advice that I've been given that I think is is perhaps interesting to share here is to understand for certain initiative. Like what is the organization level support, right? Like, let's say you're really passionate about diversity and you're like pioneering it and you can do all of the survey, ask everyone, include everyone in a solution. If you're not in an organization that like truly supports that or has a bandwidth to even process that information, you're not going to be very successful, And so, like, knowing kind of the level of support or the appetite for the the organization to actually improve things is important because you want to be aligned with, you know, your overall, like, leadership and and company as well uh, in order to be successful.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's really, it's so easy to get like very frustrated when you want to act when you're a change maker and you're in the wrong environment in that sense. Like it, you can't align because it's like really just too far away. I think that's a very typical career stuck in a way or like energy stuck for so many. I still see so many people actually kind of struggling with their direct context because there's a lack of alignment, what they actually want and what the organization wants in like on a larger scale. I think that's so useful. Do you have any advice actually, again, of going on script, but I think it's a really relevant question. Do you have any advice since you took on quite a few different roles throughout your career and like from your experience, how do you actually find out whether an organization is actually fitted for you, whether the context has the right type of like priorities that you would then align with? Actually, it kind of goes back
2: to Earlier when we talked about influence without authority, right? So guess who you don't have authority over? Your your upper your upper management, right? Like people you report to and and people who are senior to you. They absolutely, you know, it's it's absolute influence. There's there's no uh, authority whatsoever. So it's going back to the listening. If you never had any FaceTime with them, you have zero influence. They don't even know who you are. So do they even know who you are? And are you able to ask them questions to to understand what they're motivated by? When there's something you care about, like may it be like diversity, may it be, you know, work-life balance or whatever it is, right? Like how do you translate that to something, a senior leader who is in a position to, you know, be a change maker, to understand and be motivated to help you? And I think that first start by active listening right? If you go in with a leader you don't have any relationship with and just go in with your ask, it's going to come off as like pretty like you're out of alignment. Like, hey, do you even know like my world? Do you even speak my language, right? So I think that it's so important to really understand what do they care about? What is it that's motivating for them? And then try to translate what is it that you want done into something that they care about. I think most don't even take the first step in building that relationship. And so like, You know, if you're truly someone that wants to, you know, create change, change, start by first listening and understanding what is the overall uh, organization? What do they care about?
1: I hope I was active listening during all of that, Ellen, because I I was (laughs) taking a lot in and, and I think a lot of it will stick with me for a very long time. What else do you wish you perhaps knew earlier that you sort of found out maybe in the last couple of positions or maybe even in the position you knew you're you in now around some of these really, really, you know, the, the really hard one learnings around organizational commitments and buy-in and understanding the space you're in, just all of that stuff. Because this is like, this is really great.
2: It's funny you said that, like, you know, at what point of my career, like, did I learn a lot of these things? Because I think, you know, as you progress in in different roles, you know, IC management or different industry, you pick up bits and pieces. But I feel like for me, it all kind of came together when I was at my last job where uh, I was part of an acquisition. So a lot of the learning actually came together, you know, the the thoughts around influence without authority, um, alignment with the overall organization, um, it really you know i experienced it for the first hand in that experience so i was working at a it was a series b startup we were about like 120 people and the engineering team was about 30 people and i remember like one day there was a meeting where everyone's like leadership only and we're going in a room and it was made to be known that okay uh, a merger is happening, so another, like slightly bigger, not a super big company, uh, is going to be merging, acquiring us. And then about a month later, uh, the head of engineering quit. So my 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 boss, who I at the time, who I you know admire dearly and I learned a lot from, was just so happened to be leaving the organization and pursuing an, a different opportunity. And so around that like that moment, and and like as as time evolved, like. myself and the team, uh, becoming the team to be integrating the product. So we were like in the trenches with the new leadership, figuring out what is the first product to deliver a combined product. And that really put all the skills of influence without authority to as high gear, right? I absolutely have no, zero influence and zero authority over this group of new people.
0: (laughs) New people.
2: And suddenly I'm in a room with like, you know, they're the chief product officer, they're the VP of engineering that I'm meeting for the very first time, you know, convincing them like what is going to be the right approach um, as we, you know, merge and, and ship our combined product. And so like, I think that was actually where I learned a lot of this. You can't go in, you know, with what you think the other people need to, need to hear, right? It's like, you kind of first need to listen. And so that like the first Six weeks, I would say, is I was just sitting in rooms, just listening to what everyone is saying, right? Like they might be saying, Oh, I need to be doing this product. This needs to be this way. But what are they they really saying? And so you got to peel back the different pieces. You ask the question, like, Oh, you mentioned that you really want it done by this certain time. Can you tell me more? What is the reason behind? And with each of the leaders, I kind of had these conversations where I'm asking the deeper question that the five levels of why. And from there, kind of map out, okay, oh, what is everyone's true motivation? For some, it might be, we need to have a plan because everyone else is spinning. We need to have a plan so that they know what what is the goalpost and there's some sense of stability. For another person, another leader might be business outcomes. We need to be shipping something by Q4 because that's the quarter where like a lot of companies are going to be using their budget and our highest sales quarter. For some other person might be, they care about their job security, right? I want to in- insert my opinion here because I matter, right? So depending on who is the person that is like in a way in the conversation, like you really need to first understand why are they doing or saying what they're saying in order to push something forward. So with all of that, the proposal was something that in a way, address a lot of people's key concerns. Not everything, right? Because you can't please everyone, but something that actually people can like react to and agree upon, and that's when we can push forward. I would say another thing I also learned in that experience is that I wish I knew earlier is what matters most is fit. Having gone through an acquisition, had a lot of fun, really great team. But over time, as I started to you know continue to work there, I realized it wasn't for me anymore. And I think that I always, you know, having the growth mindset, I was always thinking, what am I not doing? Right? I was always like, what am I not doing that I could be doing to improve the situation? But ultimately it came to fit. I see this over and over again. Someone who might be in a small startup and the startup grew, it's no longer for them. It's no longer the right fit. Or in this case, the company has changed. So the core like alignment, core values start to diverge from what I really care about. And I was no longer, you know, in a place where it fits me and my growth. And so sometimes while it's important to, you know, always being part of the solution and, and focus on what you can be doing to, to change, I think it's also important to take a step back and say, oh, is this still the right fit? Or am I actually, you know, in the wrong environment for pursuing the things I really care about? So yeah, those those are the few things that like in in that one uh, role, I learned a lot and put piece all the learnings together.
1: It's really impressive. I was just going to say, I think that, that the takeaway for me really is... Leadership comes from within is, I think, a, a catchphrase in a way. But I think, Ellen, you're, for me, your philosophy is really resonating as look inside first, but um, more so than just that, that sort of like almost superficial phrase. It's really a lot of people think influence is something you have to project, right? Mm-hmm. It's something you have to send out to the world constantly. But I think everything, every every question we've asked, I think every almost every answer is um, Take it in. find the stability within yourself yeah. first, and then you're actually going to naturally radiate the effects that you want. Obviously, not as simple as that, but um, that's really my takeaway. And I think that's an unbelievably healthy reminder, particularly for folks who are early on in just being promoted to management, feeling like they have to be the voice in every room, the decision maker in every decision, the yeah. the person, you know, doing all the things for all the people, for all the time, for all the for all the different reasons. But it, it really is sometimes actually taking a step back and listening to others but also listening to yourself in a way. So for me it's a really a really really healthy reminder. Correct me if I'm uh, mis misphrasing or mis no, no. uh, anything. And,
2: and this is why you know in the beginning of the call uh when you two talk about why you do this podcast it like really resonated with me because I think having a voice and in a way empowering like aspiring or you know earlier current leaders out there to be their authentic self and find ways to be the best version of themselves i think that is super powerful one amazing leader can impact so many lives and with this work you're influencing thousands of leaders and imagine like how many more you know lives and impact this is going to make so I'm super grateful (laughs) that I get to speak with you all and and, you know and and listen to all of your uh learnings as well
0: super cool I was I you wrapped it up like perfectly I don't think (laughs) We could have done any better job summarizing it. It's exactly, yeah, it's exactly why we're passionate about the sign of work. And it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and being so authentic and so vulnerable and just so empowering. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think.
0: And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Goodnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.